I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, how are you doing today? I'm uh, glad you tuned in. It's going to be a little bit of a scattershot uh, conversation today. Uh, we're not doing a live interview today. We, uh, I had an opportunity earlier in the week to talk with, uh, with Father Jim Moster uh, out at the Catholic Center at, at Citadel Mall. So we're going to play that interview in the second and third segments. We're going to go to the mall on location uh, to this fascinating place uh, where you've got Franciscan friars, Capuchin Franciscan friars who hang out at the mall all day long. We're going to talk about their apostolate and what they're doing there. Uh, and then there's just so much going on. Uh, it, there's, there's not enough to talk, not, not enough time to talk about it, but we're going to try. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to go here because I'm not a current events show. I don't do current events. And yet, and yet today we're going to, um, you've probably seen it. There's the whole argument about the gorilla. That's right. It's the 400-pound gorilla in the room, or rather not in the room anymore. Uh, and so there, there was a situation at the Cincinnati Zoo where uh, a young four-year-old boy uh, climbed over a three-foot wall through four feet of bushes uh, and fell 15 feet into an enclosure where he was uh, greeted by a, a very large male silverback gorilla. And... Um, and there is debate. There is a furious debate between all kinds of different camps. You've got the kinds of camps who think that uh, the life of an endangered uh, sp species, like the, the silverback gorilla, is more valuable than the child. Uh, you've got the camp that thinks that that gorilla was actually protecting the child uh, and should not have been shot. You've got those who think that the, including experts like Jack Hanna, who think that the gorilla would have intentionally or inadvertently caused great harm or death to the child. Uh, and it's just blown up, uh, similar to uh, how the whole Cecil the Lion thing blew up a few years ago. Uh, not even a few years ago. Good gracious, a few months ago. Um, and we, we ha I had an interview at that point in time with, uh, with Dale Alquist of the Chesterton Society, and he talked about uh, this quote from G.K. Chesterton, that wherever you have animal worship, you have human sacrifice. And, and we're seeing that, uh, I think, in this case as well. Now, uh, I wasn't going to talk about this. I wasn't going to bring it up. I was not, I promise. But today's readings, oh, today's readings, here we are, uh, Saturday, June 4th, and the gospel we read... <laughs> Uh, we're doing this at the very beginning because it ties into this story. Each year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to festival customs. After they had completed its days, as they were returning, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Thinking that he was in the caravan, they journeyed for a day. And looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances, but not finding him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, 
Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. Okay, we're going to talk about a couple of things here in that gospel. First of all, some context, and then we're going to move into some practical application. Context here is that um, you, you see that Jesus was sitting in the temple and asking questions. Uh, this is not like, uh, you know, my my five-year-old going and walking up to the plumber and asking him all these questions about what he's doing, right? What, why are you doing that? What's this? No, no, no. This this 12-year-old Jesus is actually doing the teaching. This form of, uh, of education at that point in time was done through questions. So here we see Jesus leading the discussion through questions. And you notice that because uh, a couple of sentences later it says, um, they were all who heard were astounded at his understanding and his answers, right? So it's not just that he is a curious little 12-year-old boy. Rather, here is someone who, before that appointed time when they begin learning the commandments, because you've got that bar mitzvah at 13, uh, before he's gone to that education, he's already astounding them with his knowledge. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is to look at the amazing obedience of Jesus Christ as our example. He he does this. He sets up this this um, this scenario, uh, stays behind, escapes the view of his parents, which is how this ties back into the gorilla. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, and and yet, when they do come to him, he submits himself fully. He doesn't uh, he doesn't act in a manner uh, that he knows better than them. No, he is giving us a pattern of of unadulterated obedience. Now. There's another great post uh, on shamelesspopery.com. We've talked with uh, Joe Heschmeyer a couple of times here. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, and he's got a blog called shamelesspopery.com. And he's got a great post about this uh, as being a foreshadowing for Mary uh, so that she could see that when her son was taken away from her, after three days, he would be returned to her. And so that when the time came when he was crucified, she had this picture in her mind of his return in those three days. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a wonderful uh, little thought exercise. And you can find that blog post. I'll actually put it up on social media over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. But you can find that blog post over at shamelesspopery.com. Now, let's let's think about this because I have a, very, a couple of very really, you know, set in stone profound memories uh, of being lost, Right. My parents had three kids, myself and two brothers. And, uh, you know, there's the time you get lost in the store and you can't find them, right? And and as a child, it's just panicking. Uh, then the one that probably my parents panicked at too is we were in Washington, D.C. I was maybe six years old. And I got lost at the Vietnam Memorial, this really long, or at least when I was that age, it was this huge place and I couldn't find them and I didn't know where we had parked. And, and here I was in a strange city and it was, it was a bit much. Uh, and somehow, probably because they dressed me in bright red clothing, uh, they found me and, uh, and all was good. Um, which I look back in those pictures, I'm like, wow, I liked red. And now as a parent, I'm like, no, no, I'm dressing my kids in red so I can see them in a crowd. Uh, but that's, that's neither here nor there. So here we have, uh, this picture of Jesus getting lost. We have, we have, I, I'm sure you have memories of this as well, of getting separated from your parents. Uh, and you know, I've got six kids. We are constantly counting. I mean, 
every time we get in the vehicle, every time we get out of the vehicle, we do not want to pull a home alone here, right? We're counting, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, we got them at six, we got them all, well, we're good. Uh, when we're walking down the mall, every time, every, you know, every 30 seconds or so, I count because uh, even though they're all on my site, I want to make sure that we have them all. We went to the, the zoo here recently, uh, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, which is, by the way, murder if you have a, a stroller because it's all you know, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. That part's uh, kind of, uh, I missed that part. Uh, so, but, every, you know, every, every time we got to an exhibit, I counted. Every time we left an exhibit, I counted. And, and you can be so super vigilant as a parent. You, you tell your children, here are the rules for when we go out. Everybody has a buddy. You never let go of your buddy's hand. You never, uh, you're always within, uh, f- you're, you're no more than 10 feet ever away from your buddy. And when we're in public, you're with us. We're, we're like the cell going down uh, the street. Here we are. We're all together. Always, 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 always. But things happen, right? We're uh, currently staying out. Oh, we got beautiful 11 acres just on the edge of the Black Forest. Uh, luckily we have a beautiful 11 acres and the, uh, the house is smack dab in the riddle, the middle of that acreage. And my two-year-old, all my other children, they're very obedient, right? You tell them where to be, they're there. Now that doesn't mean they don't disobey sometimes, but they, they, they understand the procedures. This kid is not, he is Houdini. Oh my goodness. We, uh, we, he can get out the door on his own. He doesn't need any help whatsoever. Uh, and the other day we're, <laughs> Luckily, that's the other thing we tell our kids. You are responsible. Mommy and daddy are going to be watching all the time, but you are responsible to your siblings also. So if you see your your baby brother or sister uh, outside, if you see them in a situation that's dangerous, you need to speak up. And so Israel was in the middle of getting a little talking to for something or another, and he stops me and says, Peter is outside. I'm like, oh, well, there you go. Again, there he was. He was uh, probably 30 feet away at the end of the driveway. I didn't hear him go out. Not the driveway. Sorry. Uh, into the sidewalk, which starts the you know quarter mile driveway that gets out. Uh, there he was at the end of the the paved sidewalk, just kind of looking around, looking at the trees. Oh, isn't it pretty? And, oh my gosh! You know, you do everything you can. We are exceptionally vigilant parents, uh, and yet a child can slip out at Houdini nature. So here's the thing, parents: you have to be super vigilant, but. Even if you have one or two children, even if, you know, we've got four children who don't do this kind of thing at all. Even if you've got four kids, there is the one. And until you have lived that experience, you can't know how, one, how terrifying it is. Uh, but pray for parents and value all human life. Yes, it's a tragedy that something happened to that glorious animal. But I tell you what, life, human life is always always to be given preference. Human life is always to be given preference. So pray for that mother as uh, things continue on there. Why don't you join that conversation? I'm sure you've got an opinion. Come on over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And tell me what you think. I bet we can have a lively discussion. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around through the break. 
Glad to have you here today. And do we have a show for you? Here we are at, uh, you know, we're not in our normal location. You might be able to hear it throughout, but uh, we are at the mall. We went, uh, we went, what do they, they call that? We're not mall walking, we're sitting. Uh, and here we are at Citadel Mall in Colorado Springs, Colorado, in, in one of the most uh, amazing, ingenious places I've ever seen in a mall, and that is we're at a Franciscan chapel right here, right next to Burlington Coat Factory. I mean, here, here we are. Uh, the, the tabernacle is uh, filled. The candle is lit. We're in the presence of Jesus Christ right at the mall. And we are joined by Father Jim Moster. Uh, he is a Capuchin Franciscan of the province of Mid-America. Father Jim, thank you for being here today. You're my pleasure. So now, uh, first of all, this is kind of an oddity to find, <laughs> to find a chapel in the mall. So tell me a little bit about how this came to be. Well, the Catholic Center in the Citadel Mall on Colorado Springs is a Capuchin mission. Um, we were started with the, our provincial, approached the bishop here in Colorado Springs and uh, wanted to do something of reaching out to the people in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. The bishop was very much in agreement with that. And uh, the bishop himself suggested this mall. Hmm. And so we got it and uh, we conduct our ministry, of course, under the auspices of the bishop. But it's a Capuchin Franciscan uh, apostolate, if you will. Well, you have daily Mass here. Daily Mass. Uh, most days, twice a day. Twice a day, 12, 10, and 6 p.m. And then you also have, uh, you have confession all day long. I mean, there's always someone here when you're open. Monday through Saturday, confessions from 10 a.m. To, to 8 p.m. So you can walk around the mall and see something that you covet and then come directly to <laughs> confession and you're set. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now, for those of you who uh, you're not aware, Capuchins, you have a, we have a lot to be thankful for, for the Capuchins. One, uh, it was a, when it was founded, it was a renewal order in the Franciscans. Uh, second, um, have you had a cappuccino lately? That, that's, who do you think? Gave it to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank the, the Franciscans, the Capuchin Franciscans. And for there that. are Capuchin monkeys, too. Oh, yeah? Yes. And uh, the monkeys were named after us. We were in Italy, of course, where we were begun. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a habit with a long hood on it down to the cord in the back. Mm -hmm. And the children first seeing that in the streets... Uh, cried cappuccini, cappuccini, <laughs> and that's where we got our name. Okay. <laughs> now let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Franciscan charism, uh, which is something very strong in Capuchins as well, because you are Franciscans. We are Franciscans. Uh, the idea of being in a mall is not something that's really all that far off from what St. Francis himself would have done. No, St. Francis always wanted to live and work among the people. Mm -hmm. He did not want to be a part in a monastery, and that's the meaning of friar, mm -hmm. one who is itinerant and working and living among the people rather than being enclosed in a monastery as monks are. 
So here in this specific location, uh, how many fathers and brothers do you have participating? Well, let's see. We have two, four, five, six of us, uh, some part-time and some Mm full-time. Yes. And are you all fathers? We're all priests, of course. You have to be a priest to hear confessions and to say Mass. Right. So are there any that are just brothers who are participating in other parts of the mission here in, in the Colorado Springs area? We do have some brothers in the area. They're mainly in fraternal service in our mm-hmm. friary out in uh, beyond Black Forest. Okay. So what do you see on a daily basis? Is this a, the kind of place that draws in mainly Catholics who just happen to be at the mall and find it convenient? Or do you have just this drawing people in out of curiosity uh, who are just otherwise out for a day at the mall? All of the above. Mm -hmm. Of course, most of our clientele are Catholics from the area. Uh, We have a pretty wide catchment area, communities all around, and of course, greater Colorado Springs, Catholics who want to avail themselves of our, our confession service and also mass twice a day at times that are convenient that mm-hmm. they can't uh, make it in their own parishes. Yeah. But we have a lot of uh, young people who come here for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. We have uh, people traveling through and discover the place and are <laughs> taken aback and yeah. delightfully so. And we have a lot of inquirers from uh, people of other faiths mm-hmm. or no faith. Mm-hmm. And so we try to gear our theme about the literature and so on that we we offer to evangelization mm-hmm. and uh, basic catechesis. So we have literature available and, uh, of course, the volunteer at the desk at all times mm-hmm. during our open hours, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., uh, is able to answer questions or refer people to parishes or uh, answer questions or get one of the priests to yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. But we have a wide variety of people who come in, really proud of the the numbers of young people. Mm-hmm. We're situated in an area where there's considerable, there are considerable uh, military personnel, the Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Army Fort, base yeah, here. Fort Carson. And, yes. Yeah. And uh, we get a good number of those people and young people, who, wonderful young Catholics. And uh, that's really heartening yeah. to have that experience with them. So how long has this, this beautiful place, how long has this been here at the mall? We, uh, we started here in November 23rd, 2001. Oh, wow. So we're completing, we'll be here 15 years in November. And how long have you been here? I've been here, I'm, I'm oh, six and a half years. Okay. Myself. Yeah. For, uh, I, I spoke with one of your other fathers uh, yes. that was referred to me, and, and he said, oh, no, you, you need to talk to Father, <laughs> Father Jan. <laughs> so, uh, so you have Mass here every day. You've got confession here every day. You have outreach here. Uh, what are some of the other things that are offered here from this Catholic Center? What we offer, of course, we have a conference room, and from time to time we have uh, educational uh, programs in the back. There are a number that I would like to be able to offer, but Mm -hmm. time constraints prohibit. 
But from time to time, we have uh, conferences and things in the back. We, uh, we have a number of the local organizations, parish organizations, who have their council meetings back here. <laughs> and uh, uh, we do offer some on an individual priestly basis uh, spiritual direction okay. is another uh, thing that we do for people. We offer literature and CDs and that kind of material, mm-hmm. as I said, that are, gear, uh, that are geared to evangelization and basic catechesis. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes we have uh, people who move in here, and there's a lot of moving in and out of this area because of the military. Right. Uh, people looking for uh, a parish, a church, and we have information that helps them find the parish that mm-hmm. they belong in and right. get involved that way. Yeah. So we do offer that. Uh, all of us on weekends uh, do supply ministry in parishes, helping the priests, the pastors mm-hmm. out with masses and confessions and things in the parishes. Mm-hmm. And so we're also uh, trying to do what we can for the diocese in that kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Franciscan, the, the charism is very much an extroverted ministry. You're out among the people. You are uh, in, engaging in, in a way that you wouldn't see necessarily or think of when you think of a monk or a monastery. That, that friar vocation is a different one than the one of, of a monk. So what would you say to someone who maybe they've looked at uh, the idea of being in ministry, maybe they've felt a tug to the vocation, but their only concept is of that, that monk and monastery life or a diocesan priest life. Uh, what would you say to that person of, of what the Capuchin uh, life offers to them? Well, the Capuchin life is, of course, noted for its fraternity, its community, Living together, uh, we have at least three, f- three friars in any, any at least three mm-hmm. in any uh, community. The fraternity that we uh, we observe is, of course, a, a prayer life together regularly every day, meals and recreation and other activities together, which is supportive for us personally psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, and it, it, uh, take, it takes care of our personal needs for belonging and family and uh, affirmation and correction right. <laughs> that are essential to a well-functioning human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a balanced thing, and uh, most people uh, take to that. They uh, simply feel more included, more supported, and more comfortable living in a community of priests and brothers than living off on their own. Well, we've got much more right after this break. Join the conversation over at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. I want to hear from you. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. Thanks for sticking around. We're in the mall today. That's right, we're in the mall. We're at Citadel Mall, just at the base of beautiful Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs, Colorado, from the right place in the uh, parking lot. You've got an unobstructed view. Uh, and so then you walk in, you see Burlington Coat Factory on one side, you've got a Korean-American school, you've got all these, you know, what you would expect in them all. And then you look up, and there's a chapel with a tabernacle filled and the candle lit and the presence of Christ uh, right in the midst of just smack dab in where you wouldn't expect it. <laughs> and so we're here today talking with Father Jim Moster uh, of the, he's a Capuchin Franciscan of the province of Mid-America, and we are at the Catholic Center in the Citadel Mall here in Colorado Springs, uh, talking about this ministry, talking about the, the charism of the Capuchin life, and much more. Father Jim, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. So just before the break, we were talking about this idea of living in community, of uh, what that looks like in terms of being a priest as a Capuchin, that you're always with other people. You have this, this true fraternity, this brotherhood, uh, what does the, the Capuchin life then offer uh, on the out, outward side? On the, what does the various ministries look like throughout your province, throughout uh, the Capuchin life in general? Well, we tend to try to serve among those who are most needy and among the people in their habitat where, they, where we find them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we prefer to live among the poor and uh, the outcasts of society mm-hmm. and to serve those clientele in as far as we can uh, and sustain ourselves. As far as ministry is concerned, we're in parishes, we teach, we're in hospital work, we're in uh, prison ministry, mm-hmm. we're in almost any kind of ministry that is legitimate in the church. And usually in things and places that perhaps others are not too interested in. Mm-hmm. And so living and existing among, among the people, mm-hmm. and particularly the marginalized, is that's our charism. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read this wonderful uh, hagiography, the story, saint story of the life of St. Francis by G.K. Chesterton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's just painting this picture of St. Francis awakening to the idea of of really seeing the person and not really telling the difference between uh, the, the person who he's supposed to serve working for his father at the fine clothing and the beggar who come up to him at the same time. It's like he's having difficulty tr- trying to distinguish the social norms of, of who should be seen first and this seeing the value of the person uh, in, in every person and in having that draw of the preferential option of the poor really be part of that draw into renouncing the whole of his life and moving toward uh, this life of utter uh, abandonment to the will of God. Uh, and that's something that I just find, uh, one, very freeing for myself, the idea that, that those things that we own often get to a place where they own us. Correct. Yes, St. Francis, of course, had a tremendous devotion to God as our Father and Jesus as our brother, Mm -hmm. and uh, taking that to deeper levels and living that out practically. Um, 
Francis, of course, appeared in the town square in Assisi in front of the bishop and his father and and uh, people onlookers, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, "No longer is Pietro Bernardoni my father, mm-hmm. but God, the Father in heaven, is my father." Yeah, and. God is the father of all people, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not. <laughs> right. And that makes us all brothers then, mm-hmm. and brothers of Jesus Christ who gave himself entirely for our well-being, our eternal salvation. And uh, to live that kind of a spirit is to embrace everyone as our brother or sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, to bring them to God, our, their Father, and our Father. And so that's the heart of the spirituality of our life. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to be able to do that, of course, we have to know God the Father. We have to be imbued with the example and the teaching of Jesus himself in order to be able to see in other people, uh, sisters and brothers, and love them enough to want to bring them home to dad, mm-hmm. if you will. Right. And that's where we, uh, that's what we try to live mm-hmm. and do live. <laughs> yes. You know, the, the idea of maybe it's our culture specifically of air conditioners and garage door openers, and we've, we become so insular and isolated within ourselves, and we, we see the whole world as if it were a script playing through the, the lens, the camera lens of our eyes. And so we've got the, the major players, of course, in the story and the minor players in the story. And, and St. Francis, in that renouncing of his own possessions, renouncing of all his uh, advantage that he had through his family, uh, he was able to change the lens and look at the story from the, the further perspective, that it's not my story. Rather, I'm the minor character in someone else's. I'm the supporting character in someone else's story. And I see through the, the people in religious life that I know, I st- see that still played out day after day of someone saying, I found freedom through having less. I found freedom for putting others and giving others preference. Yes, We human beings have a natural tendency to self-preservation, to self-centeredness and selfishness, which are the recipe of unhappiness ultimately. Mm -hmm. And our society economically is based on trying to help people satisfy those worldly and fleshly desires that uh, seem to offer uh, fulfillment and happiness but in the end, do not. They're empty. Mm-hmm. And uh, to overcome, and this is what the gospel is about, overcoming our natural self so that our supernatural self can live and grow and flourish and find happiness and peace forever. And... Uh, so it's really the gospel life that St. Francis led, and in our constitutions and the rule of St. Francis, it's the gospel life of Jesus Christ, which Jesus emptied himself as for us. He did not deem even equality with God something to be grasped at, yeah. 
but his lowliness in being born in a stable, and that was one of the the great fascinations of St. Francis, mm-hmm. and uh, his actually dying for us, that bringing uh, a love and a self-renunciation to a point where true freedom and peace mm-hmm. can be experienced. God himself is experienced when we're able to give ourselves fully to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, naturally, left to ourselves without God in this drawing invitation, drawing us beyond, we are enslaved and controlled by our world, our surroundings, our environment. We simply respond to whatever stimulates us. Mm-hmm. And finding the kernel of the gospel, which is happiness and salvation, mm-hmm. we get saved from that and rise above. And so, yes, mm-hmm. we become free. It's what Jesus said, whoever would save his life or that which we perceive to be our life would lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. That's right. And we find it not only in in eternity, in heaven eventually, but we find it already here. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it possible for us to embrace the leper of our society as Francis embraced the leper and had a conversion, an insight into the meaning of the gospel in a very practical way that he never forgot and that he taught all of us Mm -hmm. to uh, search for and find in following his way of life. So you've got someone who's listening, and uh, uh, they're doing their their best to live according to the faith as they understand it, but they still have trouble getting outside of their framework of what they understand faith to be. What would you say is a first step, just a first step towards living this, this, uh, this sacrificial life? The, I often refer to that condition you described as floating in the middle of the ocean and expect not to get wet. <laughs> you know, for us it's impossible, but we have the Holy Spirit of God and we have the example and teaching of Jesus Christ uh, to lead us and to guide us. It's the Holy Spirit primarily to whom we respond each day mm-hmm. and uh, who calls us to sacrifice of our own will, to be obedient to God in the circumstances we find ourselves in. And uh, by offering ourselves to God in faith, he leads us ever more deeply into this freedom into this new life, into this happiness that uh, causes joy and uh, our ability to desire to bring this to other people, to the world, if you will. Well, if you want to know more about the Catholic Center, uh, go to catholiccitadel.org. And if you're ever through Colorado Springs, this is a place you want to stop. Father, thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. My pleasure. We'll join in this conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Tell me if you know of something similar to this where people are taking the gospel out into the streets. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I am your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. I'll tell you what, that place is amazing. Now, you know, it's not, it's definitely not gothic and it's in its uh, architecture or anything. It's, but there, you're walking out of Burlington Co. Factory and there it is, the presence of Christ and the tabernacle, the candle lit. And, um, I don't do malls. I don't go to malls very often whatsoever. But since I've been here, I've been going uh, once or twice a week just to be in that place. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I wish that that kind of thing were everywhere. I know that there's a couple of places here and there that do that. But uh, bring that up to your bishop, you know, to see if uh, that's something we can't get in your diocese. There's all kinds of, uh, all kinds of apostolates and, and people who do similar things. You've got the St. Paul uh, street evangelism team. You've got... Uh, there, there was this YouTube video of uh, some Franciscans who brought a monstrance into the public square and began reading about how Christ was found in every uh, place in Scripture. In fact, I'll see if I can find that and put that up on social media as well, because it's just a, a fabulous thing. Uh, this, this last week after Mass uh, at the cathedral, they had the procession, because uh, it was Corpus Christi. Um, by the way, it wasn't Memorial Day Eve. Uh, it wasn't a day for patriotic hymns. It was the the solemnity of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It was the feast of Corpus Christi. Uh, and so I hope that you had that at your parish. But we did a Eucharistic procession and adoration immediately following Mass. And we didn't go far. We, we did the block. But it did put uh, the body and blood and soul and divinity of Jesus Christ outside the walls in the face of the people who were passing at that moment and, and gave them this sense of, Hey, you people are different. And, and I'm okay with that, frankly. I really am very much okay with that. Uh, so uh, if, you, if this has been a fun show for you, if you've enjoyed this show, I want you to, uh, to subscribe, right? We've got a podcast. You can get to it uh, at outsidethewalls.com, right? You can find it on iTunes, on Google Play, on just about anywhere you want to go. You can find this podcast. Uh, courtesy of the fine folks over at breadboxmedia.com. We're going to talk about them a little bit more here in a second. Uh, I, I want you to subscribe. I want you to share this with your friends uh, if you think that it's something that they may enjoy. Now, second, if you have enjoyed this, back to that whole Breadbox Media thing, they have set something up for us that you may be interested in. If you want to hear more of this kind of thing, then become a friend of the show. Now, how do you do that? Well, you've liked me on Facebook or you've followed me on Twitter, and I appreciate that. But you can go to uh, our website on breadboxmedia.com, and there's a thing that says become a friend of the show. You click that. That's all it takes. You click it, you go to a drop-down menu, and you see all the different shows that Breadbox Media has. Uh, first of all, that's going to introduce you to some stuff that maybe you didn't know about. Two, you can select outside the walls right there. Actually, I think you have to select Timothy Putnam, and I'm okay with that. Uh, and then you can specify an amount that you want to contribute to the show. You're going to become a friend of the show. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, it means that you're going to get exclusive content. I'm going to do uh, a short little maybe five or ten minute story or podcast on a fairly regular basis in addition to this show, in addition to my blog over at the Pathios Network, uh, and you're going to get some content that no one else is going to get. Second thing is uh, I have publishers sending me books 
all the time. So many excellent books that most of them we're not going to be able to get to on the show, but uh, I'm going to give those away to people who become friends of the show. Uh, And so your $10 monthly membership gets you premium content and exclusive deals and the feeling of knowing that you're helping us accomplish our mission of, of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and how that impacts our everyday life, not just some pie in the sky ideal or concept, but actually uh, put on your your working boots and get out there and do it. So go to breadboxmedia.com, click on friend of the show, scroll down till you see my name, Timothy Putnam, uh, and you can become a friend of Outside the Walls. If you don't have that $10 a month, I still want you to engage with us over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. We're on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. I will answer. I, uh, I'm sitting here waiting for you. And uh, those who have communicated with me, I, I just am so glad to know that you're out there. I'm glad to hear your opinions about the things that we're talking about. So we're going to talk about one more thing here today. That You know, there's been a lot blowing up on my Facebook feed. We've had uh, people talking about uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I wrote a post on that called Evil for Evil, Reviling for Reviling. They're on the Pathios Network. You can get to that. Uh, blog. I also wrote one recently called Of Watchers and Witnesses about this phrase that someone gave to me some time ago uh, that, that I find a lot in, and it's that rebuke without relationship breeds rebellion. And today's reading from church history is going to hit on that quite a bit. It's going to talk about uh, how rebuke is received between brothers. And then I also have a post up there uh, dealing with some some struggles that I have right now with one of my brothers. Maybe you have some family issues as well. I'd love for you to go over to the blog and weigh in. But right now, let's turn to uh, our breviary. And of course, I'm at ibreviary.com because uh, it's easier and bigger print while I'm here on the radio than to try and read it out of the little book. So here is a reading from the teachings of St. Dorotheus, uh, and he says this, Let us examine, my brothers, how it happens that many times a person hears something unpleasant and goes away untroubled, as if he had not heard it. And yet on some occasions he is disturbed and troubled as soon as he hears such words. What is the cause of this inconsistency? Is there one reason for it, or many? I recognize a number of them, and one in particular is the source of all others. As someone has put it, occasionally this results from the condition in which the person happens to be. If a person is engaged in prayer or contemplation, he can easily take a rebuke from his brother and be unmoved by it. On other occasions, affection towards a brother is a strong reason. Uh, Love bears all things with the utmost patience. Another reason may be contempt. If a person despises the one who is trying to trouble him and acts as if he is the vilest of all creatures and considers it beneath his dignity to even look at him or to answer him or to mention the affront and insults to anyone else, he will not be moved by his words. The result of this is, as I have said, uh, that no one is disturbed or troubled if if he scorns and disregards what is said. But on the other hand, It is also possible that a person will be disturbed and troubled by his brother's words either because he is not in a good frame of mind or because he hates his brother. There are a great number of other reasons as well, yet the reason for all disturbance, if we look to its roots, is that no one finds fault with himself. This is the source of all annoyance and distress. This is why we sometimes have no rest. We must not be surprised when we are rebuked by holy men. We have no other path to peace but this. 
We have seen that this is true in many cases, and in our laziness and desire for rest, we hope or believe that we have entered upon some straight path when we are impatient with everyone, and yet cannot bear to blame ourselves. This is the way we are. It does not matter how many virtues a man may have, even if they are beyond number and limit, if he is turned from the path of self-accusation, he will never find peace. He will always be troubled himself, or else he will be a source of trouble for others, and all his labors be wasted. That reading comes from uh, the teachings of St. Dorotheus. So, a couple of questions there. Do we ever accuse ourselves? You know, there's the other side of this, is uh, this the people who accuse themselves of everything and, and also don't find peace. So, I mean, you know, there is uh, just as well as there is uh, ignoring our own faults, there's also that sense of scrupulosity, right? So we, there, there is a balance between the two. Uh, but there is this sense in our world today, and we mentioned it with Father earlier, that uh, everyone sees the world through their own lens where they are the main player. And of course, no one can, uh, everyone else is is making them the victim, and and certainly nothing they have done could ever be a problem. Uh, Maybe you've dealt with this. Uh, I know I certainly have, uh, where we all bear our own faults, and that's something we talk about in that blog, Evil for Evil, Reviling for Reviling. I I want you to go read that. Uh, But even in that place, each of us bears our own responsibility. And there is that sense that some people just don't want to take responsibility for their actions. Some people want to remain neutral in the face of this kind of evil. And, and it really, we have to, you and I, we have to look, look into ourselves. We have to have a spiritual advisor. We have to realize in these times of stress that one, you may be part of the problem. Two, uh, you're probably not the only part of the problem, right? So, One of the things I love about this teaching from St. Dorotheus is he says, we have to expect that we're going to be rebuked by holy men. What does this mean? Well, one, it means that if you're rebuked by someone who's not holy, (laughs) you can let it roll off your back. Uh, Two, it means that you have to actually put yourself in in the position to be in relationship with holy men and holy women. Uh, Because uh, rebuke without relationship breeds rebellion. He talked about that a little bit earlier, that uh, we may be annoyed at someone because we're not in a good frame of mind or because we have no relationship with them. We hate them. Uh, and so there is this very important factor of being in relationship with someone who you will allow to tell you you're wrong. There will be plenty of people out there who want that job. Lots of people are going to tell you you're wrong, even if you're not. Uh, so you have to pick that person carefully. But when you do enter into that relationship, you have to be willing to examine yourself at their words, uh, to lay everything down, to, to give ourselves up for the sake of the eternal kingdom. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, that's the good news. That is something we can all look forward to. And well, that's all the time we have for this week, but you can catch more. Don't want to wait a whole week? Go to OutsideTheWalls.com and catch the archives or the blog and weigh in with your thoughts. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio. Heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace.